Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am very excited today because every once in a while I will get some feedback from my audience and they'll say, Chris, you're so interesting. You're so wonderful. We love you. Can you interview somebody that we love even more than you? And I'm always so excited that because it, it, it feels like people are listening. They're actually enjoying the conversations. It's, I feel like it's why we got into the industry is to have interesting conversations, not necessarily about lights and the fixtures per se, but, but about lighting and what lighting does for us and why we're in the industry. So uh, a very good friend of mine, Ruben Lane, introduced my guest today, and I'm very excited. I, I love the times where I get to meet a new friend. So today you're going to get a, the raw, uncut, unfiltered, brand new introduction. So I'd like to introduce my very new friend. His name is Michael Meacham. He is the co-owner at iDesign Productions out of Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. And uh, based out of Miami, Florida is a big state that you try yes. to try to compartmentalize as best as you can because uh, you, you're from Florida and and then you're from Miami. So I, I just yeah. want to make sure that people don't get confused on that. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. When you look at Florida, you see a sea of red and then these little pockets of blue and you're like, that's, that's Miami right there. That's Interesting thing about Florida, the further North you go, the deeper South it becomes. Yeah. So yep. there's that. A, a very wise friend of mine, Benny Kirkham once told me that Florida is the one place where you have to go North to get to the South. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I am very excited to chat with you today because I was looking at your website and you and your team have done so many projects that I can't pigeonhole you into any one part of our industry, which kind of means that you just respect the power of lighting as a whole, that there's no one venue for lighting. So can you kind of fill me in on how you got into the industry? Yeah, I... I Got in interesting enough when I was when I was very young. Our next door neighbor was a mobile DJ, and I would go over and mow his lawn and get like some lighting. Like I would mow his lawn, and he would give me some like strobe light from Radio Shack, or I would do you know I would do something and get a, a, a black and you know like a, a UV light or something for my for my bedroom. In like at a very young age. You know, my my I saw my brother in a play of Brigadoom or whatever in his high school musical, and they had a you know some basic lighting and a fog machine, and I was so like I, like drawn to it. It's like that I felt I didn't know it at the time, but I felt like that was something 
that was part of me. And then as I got older, I was 16 and uh, was in a bit of a motorcycle accident. So during the recovery, I learned how to DJ and kind of produce music. So my first foray into the nightclubs was as a DJ, but also did some basic lighting. And as I was getting older, you realize that DJing is very finite, but mm -hmm. being a lighting person or, or somebody in the industry, you could have a much longer career and not knowing exactly where I could go at the time. But I knew that it was certainly going to be, there's going to be a lot more longevity than, than being a DJ. And, and that's kind of how it started for me. Will mow lawns for lighting gear sort of a thing. You're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the way I feel these days. I, I what the things I will do for lighting gear. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So this is in Washington, DC at the time, correct? This was, I was born in Connecticut, uh, but nobody likes to say that because okay. it's, it's a, to any Connecticut people that are listening, no offense, but it's a, it's a horrible place. <laughs> because i don't think it has an identity being between like boston and new york it's sort of like the the backwash of, of both of those mm -hmm. uh so when i was uh in my teens and i moved to dc uh that's where i sort of started started my career uh very early on my first job was at a place in baltimore as a lighting technician i was 19 19 yeah yeah, this is a, was this a club or a theater? No, it was a, it was it was actually a gay club in in Baltimore, and that had one of the most fantastic light shows. Very analog, what that would be today, but still like so much fun. And I mean, you you've never really lived life until you've done lighting for a gay crowd because they're so responsive and 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 so much fun to be around. So it's a whole different. Like we, I've done cruises for like gay cruises where I was working with a friend of mine, Guy Smith, and, and you come off of them at port and you see a bunch of straight people and you're like, oh, you guys are terrible. You guys are horrible people just because <laughs> there's so much fun. So you go from like that to, you know, relatively stilted people. Uh, <laughs> but so, yeah, so my, my first job was, was, at a, was at a gay club in Baltimore called The Hippo. And then shortly after that, I got a job at another gay club in dc called tracks which was massive like 3,000, 4,000 people venue and then that's where that's when i started crossing over from lighting and djing and kind of did them both i would imagine that with a crowd that responsive you knew when you hit the right looks and the right at the right timing i would imagine you'd get a response you, you do and and that's still to this day when you when we're doing lighting for the festivals and uh you have these moments where you know you're responsible for the way that people are reacting. I mean, yeah. it's a combination of the music, but, but if you were to have this great buildup and then you did a, and then the light just became flat, it wouldn't have that same crowd reaction that if you're building up and you bring something in and then you push them over the cliff with the lighting, that reaction, you're just as much responsible for, if not more for than the music that's happening. Yeah. People never notice when the lighting is going right, but boy, if you were to blow it, that then people know. You know oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you blow that uh, that downbeat, people will notice. People will notice, right? But if you yeah. hit it a hundred times out of a hundred, nobody will ever notice. I've walked out of shows before because the lighting was bad. The artist was good. 
I won't be specific, but there's even in the last year or so we saw a band live that that was the first concert that I ever saw that had very light to it. So they had such an impact for me. And then when I saw them recently, we left during intermission because the lighting was so poorly done and none of it matched. None of it made sense that it was just this, it just irritated me to a point where I'm like, I, we just got to go. And we left. Ouch. Yeah. And uh, with your wife? Uh, no, it was with one of my closer, close lighting friends that I, from back in okay. the DC days. Cool. Uh, I would imagine a lighting uh, colleague would understand, but I don't know if your wife would understand. She'd be like, what are you talking about? Why are we leaving? Because the light is distracting. Oh, she gets it. That's the thing. Like Christine gets it. She knows when lighting is, I mean, she's my partner. So uh, live and breathe lighting. So she gets it. You know, we, we did a, one of our clients, we did the lighting for in uh, the Caribbean or I'm sorry, in Mexico. And they had sort of an inexperienced lighting. And she said the same thing. She's like, I couldn't, I couldn't get it. I couldn't get into it because they're doing this acrobatic part of the show and he's using a strobe light I'm like shaking my head i get it <laughs> man so you literally live breathe and work lighting your your whole the wife's in it you're in it yeah well it's great when you have somebody that you share the interests with mm-hmm. uh where you know not only uh, is she my partner but she's also can she's very knowledgeable she can talk tech so those moments where you're struggling to try to find something to say to somebody that you, that you've been with for 18 years, we just, Oh, <laughs> let's, you know, we, there's never ever a moment where we're not talking about lighting or what we do or something involved in it. Yeah. That is very immersive. You've, uh, you've definitely uh, dedicated your entire life to the craft. Well, it's also important when you have a partner that understands when you're traveling. I mean, there's times where there's been years where a travel 300 days a year some of that's holiday but you are away from home for that amount of time and i don't think if you had somebody that doesn't have the same interests or the same future aspects of, of your company together you're not going to you're, you're going to have a disconnect because you're always traveling and mm-hmm. uh but we understand that that part of traveling is is part of what makes our company successful yeah it's uh it took a little bit of time for my wife to understand those logistics that you're discussing, but eventually she came around. She's like, Oh, you know, as soon as she came out and visited a few times out on the road or something, she kind of got it. So it's, you had a leg up on that one. Well, colleagues that I have where their relationship isn't uh, based on the same thing that Christine and I have, you definitely can see and feel that there's, there's a bit of tension in that relationship because the other person is traveling so much. Oh yeah. If somebody doesn't understand what our schedule entails, I can see how a lot of uh, animosity can build. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure you've seen those memes, like what, what I think I do, what my parents think I do, what my wife thinks I do, what my friends think I do. And yeah. it's, it's so true. Like people think, Oh, we travel the world and it's glamorous. And yes, it's great. I'm not taking anything away from going to the places we get to go to, but a lot of it's like, you're going between, the hotel and the venue. And maybe if you can take a day off, you can explore and like go to Osaka or, or Kyoto or something like if you're in Tokyo, but mostly you're between those two points. 90% of the traveling is seeing the loading docks of the world. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Very glamorous. Very glamorous. <laughs> so one of the things that you started to touch on with going and critiquing the lights is the difference between the art of lighting and the function of lighting. And so when you go to a show, like obviously the lighting has to be enough to see the band, but anything above that is artistry and that's subjective. So even though the person out at front of house thought that they were killing it, you and your colleague were there and like, this is not working for us. We're going to, we got to get out of here. How do you apply objective values to subjective art and, uh, and to, uh, differentiate between function of light and artistic uh, license? That's an excellent question. I mean, I know that's it's, a big question, but uh, it I is a big question. It, it's, it's, it's a tough one because every it, it, color is subjective. Movement is subjective. The feeling of a, of a song is subjective. We're all artists and designers in our own way. So I, I think whenever we see a show, there's always like, could I do that better? Maybe. It depends on what you're looking at. Uh, there are shows that you go to and you walk away completely inspired and changed. Like what we were saying before, going to the Nine Inch Nails show, like uh, in 2013, Tension Tour. That, Great in show. my mind, was a perfect show. That was a perfect, the, with, with the lighting, the video, uh, the performance, all of it, perfect. Mm -hmm. it, 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 so subjective is when you're, uh, so, sometimes you have to sell it when you're doing a time code and then you're explaining to the client, you're trying to explain the story to them as it's unfolding so that they understand it a little bit better because it is so subjective. And what may bring an emotion out on me may bring out disgust on you. So... <laughs> trying to find that balance of, of, you know, something that is subjective that, that you can explain to them so they can understand your creative vision mm -hmm. as it would be. So in your company, I design, you take that out of the concert setting and also into the architectural setting. So when you're designing a lobby, like obviously you have to be able to see the, the front desk and you have to be able to see the exits and the entrances but beyond that, I would imagine you get a lot more creative license to kind of do artistic pieces in those. How often does that come about? We, I, I try not to take on too much architectural only projects. So we did a recently did a restaurant in Fort Lauderdale that was mostly white light, but, but also gave us an opportunity to create a feature. So as long as there is a feature that, that we can build everything around, I'm okay with it. Okay. Uh, you know, so I'm not just into, okay, what 27 K CRI light looks best there for me. That's not interesting. It's uh, it's having that feature element that is, you know, when you walk into the room, you see it and, and it's part of the overall experience. Uh, so we, we, we try not to go too much into the architect. We'll, we'll do the architainment if you will. Okay. So anything that, yes. that has a bit more color changing at the, at the appropriate time, uh, you know, tied into the traditional lighting. Mm -hmm. Meaning that, that I've seen who I was 15 years ago as a lighting designer when, you know, color kinetics first came out and everything was an explosion of color. 
I've certainly dialed that back. I'm a little more conservative when it comes to that architectment. Oh, that's a tough one, man. Because when we get new toys, we want to unleash. We do. Know? We do. I can imagine 15 years ago, Michael was a different person. And you're like, look at all these colors. We can use all the colors. I remember. Yeah. I. Yes, exactly. And also, you know, where technology was and where we were, where I was as a designer. My wife and I went in, we were hired to do some like architectural color lighting at this lobby for a ward where I think Iggy Pop was playing and they had a band and Christine's like, do you think that's something you ever could do? I'm like, I don't think I could ever do that. Or the first time I went to LDI and the Grand MA people were like, hey, you want to come look at our lighting console? And I would go, oh, that's way beyond my capability as a, as a designer <laughs> or a programmer. You know, having conversations with Steve Lieberman on the phone being like, what is tracking? <laughs> yeah. man we have had to adapt so quickly it, it uh, the the pace is just mind-boggling you have to learn something new every it used to be every two years now it's every two months you got to learn something new it's almost like uh the moore's law where every you know wherever a year it's like twice the processing and half the cost that kind of the yep. philosophy with with the way lighting is changing yeah it's hard to not become a dinosaur these days like because uh, the the kids have such a huge advantage of us they learn programming and coding where you and i used to learn cursive they're learning programming now and so they they just they can they can they can soak it up so much faster than we can well and, and you see that you really see that in the festivals i don't really I'll do like a festival a year for a designer named David House who does uh, stuff in Baltimore. David's young. He's like 30 years old. He's a remarkable programmer, a great designer, like really have a lot of respect. And you don't want to call them kids, but when, when, when you're you know, 23 years older than them and you're completely like dis just turned out by how well they understand their craft. Like you're like, mm -hmm. I wish I had half that talent at your age where yeah. people like you and I, I, I you, we have to struggle a little bit more because we weren't, we were pre-internet age and they're mm -hmm. not. So they're, they have all the access to all this information at their, at their fingertips where we had to work a lot harder for it. Yeah. I'm just old enough to remember when DMX was just one option of several other protocols. Right, like Martin had their own protocol and DMX was just a protocol or like a high-end had a different protocol and uh, it was, yeah, exactly. Yeah, now that everything's been uniform and standardized, now they can just go to town. There's so much more. And now DMX is even on its way out. It wouldn't surprise right. me if you and I see the end of DMX. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised with Artnet and streaming ACN and... and uh, just all, all these new, because, you know, back even 12 years ago, a two universe system would be impressive. Now that's, <laughs> now you have like, you have a fixture that could fit on a universe. Oh man. Especially, your, especially your fixtures. You're, yeah. You have, you yeah. Have some pretty heavy moded DMX yeah. channel counts. You would need a whole hog to do four magic ring R9s. You would have to, <laughs> right. you, you could do Dedicate. four fixtures with that. Yeah. Right. So one of the questions that kind of came up when I was looking over your website is 
the the difference between the permanent installations that you do and the nightclub stuff. Do you prefer the impacts that last for several months, years even, to the impacts that last for just seconds? Or does that even uh, register when you were creating a design? Yeah, I definitely like programming for the nightclubs or designing for the nightclubs uh, and the longevity of it. And as a programmer, you think as a designer, so they go hand in hand. So mm-hmm. you're thinking on multifaceted ways of creating an environment, uh, especially for the nightclubs. Uh, and you know, they're, the advancements of nightclubs and the advancements of fixtures and LED screens and technology it pushes you a lot further to to kind of use everything in your toolbox. But yeah, with, with, without a doubt, having a longer lasting impression versus, you know, those, those quick moments. But again, those quick moments can have a, la- a lifetime effect. Like, you know, Pink Floyd, Delicate Sound of Thunder and Pulse, even to this day, I think is a high watermark for production. I was coming back from a client, I think it was in Dominican Republic, and I was flying back, and I had DVD years ago, and I'm starting to watch Pulse. And even though I've seen it tons of times, I just remember like tearing up, like <laughs> because it was so profound and so well done that uh, mm-hmm. you just had a the the emotion of that art artistry was was just overtaking and. I just went with it. So I'm sitting there like a, an idiot and my, you know, crying on a, for a pulse concert from Pink Floyd. <laughs> Since I've started the podcast, I've been talking to a lot of people about their inspirations that got them into the industry. And I want to say 30% of the people that I interview or have discussions with mention that concert or, or uh, Pink Floyd in general, because, because it's that impactful. Yeah, I'm not even like a huge Pink Floyd fan. I, I certainly appreciate their music. I don't listen to it like uh, while I'm working out or anything, but I certainly appreciate the the artistry, especially given that you know when Delicate Sound was in the late '80s. There's a there's a scene where I have slowed it down to try to figure out how they're doing what they're doing. They're doing like this mid-air color mixing thing, and it takes place in a second, but it's it's mind blowing to think that is long, there's years before MAs and the, the tech that we have now. So they have really dived deep into the programming, the creativity. And it's again, to this day, it's still inspirational. So the reason I wanted to have this discussion with you is because I've done just a handful of permanent installations, but I'm primarily in the rock and roll world where I can finish a tour and my techs will still be criticizing me because I'm still making notes and changes, you know, five months into the tour. And then when I go do a permanent installation, I don't get that. Like you have to just put it in the can, hope that that what you've done is eternal and then just walk away. How do you deal with that? How do you, how do you, how do you build a permanent installation and then just, well, no more changes are needed. The contract signed. We just walk away now. We don't ever actually fully walk away because most of these projects okay. are pretty involved. Okay. And 
we're, you know, we, we're brought in from the beginning to the end. So from producing the drawings, the 3D modeling, the, you know, the conceptual idea, and then the pragmatic part of it. And then, you know, then I have incredible team of uh, a project manager, Holmes Ives, and then all the guys in our company that go and build these things. And then while they're building it, developing the, the content, and then coming in afterwards and then programming it. So you know, places that we've done, like here in Miami, we did a club called 11, which is always evolving because they, they're willing to continually to, con to step up to the new technology. So what we put in seven years ago, we just redid a year ago. So it's, I, I think that even in these spaces, you have an opportunity with forward thinking owners to progress and continue to move on. With the also the technology that we have with the visualizers, like we use uh, Synchronorm Depends 2. We use D1 before and uh, Realizer. I mean, we've used them all, but for us, we find that these are the most realistic so that when you're building these things, you can really just try to launch yourself into the future. Like how long will this, will this be relevant? How long will it take the test of time? How long will this technology be relevant? And then when you're done with it, you just, you almost also to have to be at peace with what you've designed is going to take the test of time and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. I would imagine that it has to come up often. You just have to come to peace with the fact that that is what it is. And uh, we did, we put all of our blood, sweat and tears into it. And here's the final product. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. It's, it's like a painter. I imagine that when he's finally done, you you're done and you have to be okay with that. And you just have to put it out there and, and, and sure there are, we make less mistakes now than we did when we were first starting. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, but again, having all of these tools now, these 3d visualizers that you can spin the room around and, and now with Oculus, you can put the glasses on and step into the room and look around and, really go, okay, maybe that doesn't work so well there. And then tweak the design a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then, you know, getting back to the earlier question about subjectivity, when you're explaining these designs to your client, uh, you have to give them the tools so that they can visualize it. Because a lot of people, uh, if you just put it on a line weight drawing, they're not going to get it. But when you get them into an immersive experience where they can walk into it and see it and look around and, and, and really have at it, then it's easier for them to, to understand what they're getting. Yeah, I would imagine a lot of your clients didn't come up through the Baltimore, Washington, D.C., Miami nightclub scene that you did. So it's harder for them to imagine what it is that you're trying to describe. I think even veteran people like ourselves can have, if you're just saying, hey, Michael, here's this concept that I have, and you just start walking me through it, it's not, I'm not gonna grasp it until I see it, until I feel it, until I step right. into it. Then, then it all comes together. Because yeah. I think most people are visual, especially I, I find that men tend to, have, be, tend yep. to be less visual than women who you can explain something to and they can get it where I think men need to step into it and be immersed into it. Yeah, uh, they definitely created previs and Unreal for us. They sure did. <laughs> yeah.
by us for us for sure. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> so you were in, you were working in the nightclubs and then eventually it came up that you got to start designing the nightclubs. How was that transition to go from just being able to say like, man, I wish a nightclub had this to being the designer. Like, ah, you know what? I'm going to put this in a nightclub. It started pretty early on, but not until, until like 16, 17 years ago. Uh, I was final, final days of being an operator and then making that transition from like operator to designer. And it started off just very organically in smaller, smaller venues. But one of the things that, that, we built our company ethos on was we're going to do what we say we're going to do. We're always going to pick up the phone. We're always going to make sure that our clients are as happy as they can be. And back then, especially in the nightclub industry, you can get a lot of talented people, but because they're working until 8 AM, they can sometimes partake in the nightclub lifestyle, which then doesn't allow them to be very responsible. So when you do have a company that is like runs it like a, like a professional company, we found that the word got out really quickly and we were able to uh, go, you know, it was exponentially quicker than I think it would have been had we just been lackadaisical. So we were very aggressive at the beginning and really put okay. everything that we could into it. Do you find it being a, a, a detriment or a, a burden having a large team right now? Because uh, it looks like you've assembled quite an impressive collection of very creative people that you uh, that they you guys work together on everything that as far as I can tell. We do. Uh, luckily for us, we, we, we've always structured our company in the way that if we were busy, we had the team to do it. If we were slow, we still had our team to do it, but they were had the opportunity to do things. So we, we kind of subcontracted our people, even though they're our core team. Uh, okay. You know, we do have several people on payroll, but uh, for the most part, we were had everybody as independent contractors because we would have these moments where we could be working for six months straight, and then I'm not designing; I'm programming other, you know, programming mm -hmm. water shows, or I'm doing something different. So those moments, they could, they had the freedom to, to be able to do what they want. Yeah, it sounds like you've uh, developed a very flexible team. Then we did, and we have an amazing team. I can't say, uh, you know, the our team functions only as a team. We are completely the sum of all parts. I I can't look at any of these projects and say I am the sole person responsible for them. I am just a piece of the puzzle between Christine and Holmes, our project managers. Uh, the guys that we have working for us, Steve and Benny, like all of these really passionate people that we bring together to do these uh, projects that are, they're remarkable. I can't say enough good things about our team. That's got to be uh, one of the major factors in allowing you to diversify and being able to do nightclubs and live events and architainment. And I can only imagine that during the pandemic and the isolation period that that's been a life raft for you. It has been, we've, I feel almost guilty saying this, that we have been just as busy during these last six months as we have before we go into it. Now, who knows what the future is going to bring? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, there's going to be a time where I think that 
we're going to, you know, not be working for a little bit. But during that, those moments, which I think so many other people have done during this pandemic, is we're going to uh, figure out ways to improve what it is that we do, whether I'll work on being a better programmer or a better designer or, or something. We always try to keep, keep even those quiet moments, we try to fill them with things that will make us better. So speaking of being diverse, one of the things I see on your website is lots of fountains. What was it like to get the first phone call? Like, hey, so I see you're doing great nightclubs. Do you do fountains? And that's kind of exactly how it happened. <laughs> we were we were brought on to to do some lighting for a venue, for not a venue, for like a outdoor restaurant retail space outside of Miami uh, in Doral. So we're, we're doing moving light towers and some cool up lights and and there was this huge multi-million dollar fountain that was going in. And this, the guy that was there, basically the, the IT guy and part of product manage, management named Diamond, he's like, have you thought about programming water fountains before? And I go, no, but it's DMX, right? It's lighting. It's, yeah. Uh, it's the same principle. You have fluid dynamics is definitely a little different than programming and moving light. I was like, okay, let me look into it. So the company that produces, uh, not produces, but makes the, the software and some of the hardware is out of Germany. Same company that makes uh, depend. They're called Synchronorm and they make depends mm-hmm. too D two. Yep. So we flew out there. Uh, I spent, a few days training with a, with a guy named Greg, who is a remarkable fountain programmer. And then basically, you know, you, you buy the key. It's an expensive, it is an expensive uh, tool to, to, to go into. Okay. But then went back and started figuring it out, just like anything else. I just locked myself in, got hyper-focused and learned how to, to make it all happen. And, and then it's been gratifying. So we do... Uh, we still do city place and then we do another one in Daytona and those two, those two have kept us busy. Yeah. That you basically you're taking the exact fundamentals and principles that you've already been applying to nightclubs and other things and just saying, just going to make this fountain look the way the music sounds and away we go. Exactly. And, and that's exactly it. You're time coding these shows. They, they take a while, but you can get really creative with it. You know, you can light, you know, water, stream goes up, light it one way as it's following, change the color on it. So there are some incredible uh, creative things that you can do with them. That you'd be, it's, it's kind of the sky's the limit on, on some of this. So you're saying a lot of these things that you're doing, including the fountains are overseas. So you have built an international company out of Miami. We have the fountains are, are US based, but the, the nightclubs right. that we have done are, have been worldwide. You know, we've been so grateful to be able to work in places, like I said, like Tokyo, Osaka, Dubai, throughout the Caribbean, Canada. Uh, like I said, we did a Canadian tire uh, outside <laughs> of in, in Welling, which is just over the, the border, not too far from um, Niagara Falls. Does uh, does Canadian tire need architainment of some sort? You'd be surprised. We... Uh, so we met the heir to Canadian Tire, uh, who was willing to do something a little different. They they were having a flagship store 
uh, lead certification. And I was like, hey, I got an idea. This is years ago, but doing like a very low res tracks on LED panels behind plexiglass and their display window. And, and it was really cool. And, right and they loved it. So it was a great opportunity to work with them. Wonderful people. And for my audience members that don't know, Canadian Tire is the Canadian version of Target. Uh, it Target started meets, off right, like Target meets uh, like Goodyear Tire. Yeah, right? it, and throw on a Staples as well. It, it's a little bit of everything. To think that even a Canadian Tire needs cool lighting. I would, you know, it's not just a, a warehouse. Obviously, the majority of it is fluorescent lighting, but you know, if you want to highlight something, you got to light it better than fluorescent. For sure. And that is true I, in, the, in, uh, in a warehouse and in a nightclub. I think interesting lighting anywhere can be appropriate if used the right way. Absolutely. I would say that's an understatement. So how has the, it sounds like you're still busy but I can only imagine the pandemic has affected you in the fact of like travel restrictions and, uh, and logistics. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. Uh, one of our clients is uh, a resort called Club Med and they have them worldwide and we're responsible for the Club Meds in our zone. So Columbus Isle, uh, Dominican Republic, a couple of resorts there, Point St. Lucie. So obviously they've been decimated by the, mm -hmm. you know, their travel, their again, resort, they're finally just starting to open up. And, you know, we went to one Dominican Republic last week uh, and then we're next week, we're going to Cancun. So slowly starting to come back online. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, traveling, traveling was never fun to begin with. Even when you get upgraded to business class, it's just, you know, you're just going from <laughs> one place to the other. Uh, but with these travel restrictions, yeah, we're, we're not traveling obviously nearly as much as we used to, we still are, but, uh, right. it, it, even just with these now restrictions, it's, it, it takes what little fun there was out of it. Yeah, for sure. It's not the same. Uh, I'd never realized how cathartic flying was for me until <laughs> this, you know, it's the, it's the few times that I ever get to put my headset on crank through an entire audiobook in one sitting and just not think about anything. I, I never get the Wi-Fi on the plane because that's my, my Zen moment, but now that's that's not, it's just not there anymore. Is it for me? I, I find that being on the plane was the opposite of that, where I didn't have the, the distractions of the internet where I was like, you know, cause I'm, I'm a bit ADD, like most of the people in our industry, mm -hmm. uh, where you just start designing something. You're like, oh, let me check Facebook real quick. Or, oh, let me check, check the news. With mm -hmm. being on the plane, I have designed so many nightclubs and didn't want the plan to land because I was so far into it. I was <laughs> hyper-focused and I was just like, I just need a few more hours. <laughs> don't give me Wi-Fi. I don't need it, I know. please. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm like you, I, I don't turn on the Wi-Fi, And if I do, it's maybe just to download like a spec sheet or something, but that's yeah. about it. I'm, I'm terrible at that. I will be sitting at my computer and it's, it's a real bummer that my Facebook is on the same computer as my emails because 
you know, a little ding here and there, and I'm off in a new world sometimes. That is yeah, same here. Constant barrage of dings and bloops and bleeps, and it, it gets to me. It's tough when you're trying to get hyper-focused into to something and you get pulled away. Yeah, I, I can only imagine that was so beneficial to people like Einstein and... and uh, <laughs> Pre-internet, yep. Yeah, they could, they they were free of internet. They could just hyper focus whenever they wanted to. That's actually a great uh, segue into the next question. When you have a team of creative people, does it benefit each design being able to have a diversity of input on that, or do you find that when you're alone, you're able to get more done without having to cross check with and receive external input and other people's opinions? Rarely do uh, I can, get uh, yeah. design input back from the team. Like Christine, okay. or, uh, the, she'll say, oh, you, I'll always ask like, how do you like this? And uh, you know, some, she'll have suggestions sometimes, but always on a positive note, uh, it goes through the process of like, I, I'll design it. She then takes all of that information and drawings and then orders everything. Then it goes to a project manager who looks over the drawings again make sure that we have everything and then build it. So they're really, once the design is done, I don't have that much feedback. It, it's not like we have a, a team of alpha male or alpha people that are, or critiquing or going back and forth. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, nobody likes having their design critiqued, uh, but usually it's, it's pretty, once they're done, they're pretty set to go. I mean, well, I've, you know, I had a client recently, well, last year, I sent the first design to, and he gets on the phone and he goes, it's way too much. It's not what we want. And I'm like, nah, it's exactly what you want. <laughs> and they're like, no, it's, it's not what we want. I'm like, yeah, it's exactly what you want. And try to explain it. They thought it was too much. So I spent the entire weekend conceptually coming up with a new design, camera fly throughs, all of it, the entire weekend, send it to him on Monday. And they came back to me and they're like, yeah, we love the original design. We're going to go with that. Oh, how hard is it to not take that vindication and just pat yourself on the back? Well, because I think at that point, you're a little pious with the fact that you realize that your original design was, <laughs> was the way to go. So you're like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's not my first rodeo. Exactly. Uh, it's got to be a good feeling. It is. It is. I, I I would have enjoyed spending the weekend doing something else, but at the end, it ended up being exactly what we wanted to be. Oh, that is, that's exactly what comes from a, a long career of trial and error right there. Yeah. It, again, at this point, you think, I, I mean, like, it's like anything you, when you ever, when, when you approach a new design, <clears throat> sometimes you're just staring into a blank canvas trying to figure it out and it becomes very overwhelming. And then I find that for me, the best way to do it is compartmentalize the process where you start with one idea that then everything else can flourish from. And, and, and that for me, I think helps as just as, as a designer, get your head around something where you're not so overwhelmed by that process. Uh, and then, because then there's times where you just go, I have no idea how I arrived here, but I'm happy with the results. And I think it's from that compartment, 
you know, yeah. compartmentalizing that that process. It sounds like you've spent quite a bit of time focusing on honing on honing your craft and uh, and kind of streamlining your process. Then uh, the workflow you sounds think so, very, but, but that's completely. But that's not it. No, <laughs> it's, it's no, it's it's uh, it's just because I. There are some people that uh, that I see designers that are they're so good and and they're seems like they're just cranking them out. Where for me, uh, I, the the process I think takes a little bit longer. Even though you have some tricks that you can start from, I find <laughs> that that first part, that getting your foot in the water, actually dipping your foot in the water, is the most difficult part because you really are starting from nowhere. And then, then you, when you jump in, you're fully in. But I, I find that it's it's a, it's a tricky process. And every design starts off kind of like, oh, what am I going to do here? How is this going to work? And then, mm-hmm. and then you can start seeing it come into focus. But I don't have a disciplined uh, <laughs> set of rules that I start from. I wish that I did, but it's just not how my brain works. No mantras or anything like that. It's just no, yeah, just no, no. Crank through it and get to the other end one way or another. Yeah, no rituals, no burning candles or incense and <laughs> having a glass of wine and just, just kind of jump right in. Well, that's good. That's a good way uh, put into a box. You know, there's and your your uh, your website shows that there is no pigeonhole way of describing what you what you do or even how you do it. And, and, and I think that comes from, again, uh, having a bit of, of ADD where you can't just lock yourself down to one discipline where mm-hmm. it's got to be so many because you're designing and you're focused. And then a minute later, you're like, squirrel. <laughs> so you, you get distracted by these things. And I find that being able to do all of these things, especially having, it, having the diversity keeps you going through these moments where which we're experiencing right now mm-hmm. where if i was if i was just a festival guy i would be i'd be heartbroken right now and i'm not yeah and i'm so grateful for that yeah shout out to all those festival guys out there we feel for and you all my, and my heart goes out to it man i really yep. do i it yep. does like the people in our industry like you you look and you and you look at all your facebook friends and and you look at all the people and I really, it's our, our, our heart goes out to all of them. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time to sit with me. I really appreciate it. I will have to thank Ruben Lane for the recommendation. I feel like we have so much more to talk about. Well, let's, let's uh, definitely grab some lunch sometime. We're, we're in each other's hemisphere and it'd yeah. be great to catch up. You got it. All right, Chris. Thank you for, for the invite. I really appreciate it. 